The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great yeah, Commandment. It, so. Everyone doing all right this morning? Good week? Yeah? You ready for God's Word? Ready to get into it? You know, what's awesome is we've been in this series called This Is What We Do, right? All month as we begin 2018 is just looking at God's word, what makes us unique, what makes us distinct as a church, as a, as a body of believers here, but this isn't just unique to us as well. There's other churches across the globe that embrace these same principles, that uh, embody this same DNA. Even today, uh, another church uh, in Cap Haitian, Haiti is launching their very first Sunday today. Last week, we celebrated a church in Mexico City, in uh, Cal. Calgary, Alberta, Canada, another one this week in Haiti. And so churches like this launching all across the globe, proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology, lifting high the name of Jesus, believing firmly in the power of prayer and sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. And so uh, across cultures, these same things uh, still hold true because this is how we go vertical, right? This is how we worship the Lord. So I want to just begin by praying for that church. Would you, uh, can we do that together? Can we pray for our friends in Cap Haitian, Haiti? Let's do that. God in heaven, we're just asking now, partnering with another church who uh, values these same things. Would you be there in their midst? Would many come uh, this morning? God, would your word be opened and people be changed by the hearing of its truths? May your son Jesus be lifted high as they worship you there, just as we're seeking to do here in New Braunfels, God. So thank you for this great and glorious work that you're doing all across the globe for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, beloved, we are in uh, the final message of the This Is What We Do series. Hopefully it has brought some clarity to you what our convictions are, you know, how we worship. We worship vertically, uh, how we live our life on mission, how we grow with these uh, four pillars. And these are all within the consuming passion to glorify God. And so this morning now is uh, our final uh, message in this series on how we really behave. Okay, the, the manners or the relational ethic of how we treat one another. And uh, I chose the word manners just because it uh, maybe hits home, maybe it's a little bit comical. This is a constant conversation in our home as to what is socially acceptable at the Cushman's. But uh, these are those uh, manners, these, these uh, behaviors that are praised when they are abided by and punished when you don't, right? And so what is it that is acceptable uh, to us? You know, Southerners are especially known for their hospitality, right? Like there's, there's, it's a very real thing about how we act here in the South, right? So what are some of those things, right? Just as you think about it uh, outside of scripture, but what are just some of those societal norms? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, right. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. We're like polite, right? We, and we even teach our kids to do that. So you say, yes, sir, or no, sir, um, or yes, ma'am. We teach them to uh, add Mr. or Mrs. onto if they're addressing an adult, right? We teach kids that. What are some, what are other ones that just come to mind? Say it again. Wave. Yeah, wave. We're just, folks are friendly, right? In other cultures, if you're, especially if you're driving in a car and they're waving at you, it's probably not in a friendly gesture. But in the South, typically, uh, we wave at, some, at people. <laughs> what about if a guest comes to your home? What do you offer them as they enter into your home? Yeah, something to drink, right? They might be uh, thirsty. Even if they just came from next door, you know, you offer them a, you offer them a drink. 
uh, we hold the door open for people, right? Especially for ladies, right? Chivalry uh, still lives here in the South uh, by and large. What about if I'm eating? Elbows on the table like this? <laughs> no, sir, right? No, sir. Elbows off the table. We, we do that. So there's just a lot of things. So what are those things within the, the church? Do we have manners? Is there an acceptable way that we treat people that Jesus would have to say about these things and not just Emily Post? Are you surprised that I know who she is? Emily Post? But there's quite a bit, right? And Luke 7 actually teaches us these things. So turn there. We're going to read it now. It's on page 504 if you have one of those blue Bibles. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, picking it up in verse 36. And uh, Jesus is going to give us an example and tell a parable that are going to teach us three essential manners of the Christian life. Here it is. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but the t from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. So like I said, through Jesus' example and through the parable which he tells here, he gives us three essential manners for the Christian life that really shape our life, but also our church culture. Let's, let's see this here. This is what we do, okay? This is what we do beginning in verse 36. We welcome without judgment, we welcome without judgment. You see the story here that happens. I just read it for you, so it's, it's fresh on your mind here, but you see this, this Pharisee. A Pharisee was a, a religious elite person. They were the, the socially elite. They, it would be an honor to be his guest. It was, he was a who's who around town. So the fact that Jesus is invited to his house is saying something in that culture, in that society. But then in verse 37, look here, the, the, the absurd happens. 
The absurd happens. Here he's in this nice person's house. He's reclining at the table, which would have been a low table, likely sitting on the ground on some cushions here. And behold, a woman of the city comes in who was a sinner. That's really just a polite way to say what, the, what everybody knows he's referring to. She was a prostitute. It's just a discreet way here to refer to the type of woman, the reputation that this woman has. And so this is, this is absurd, right? This, Jesus is eating at the house. They're, they're having this meal. And this woman who was not invited comes in. And Jesus makes no effort to stop her or to ask her to leave. She comes in. And she does this really kind of absurd thing. This wasn't a normal thing that somebody would do, right? Just as absurd as it seems to us, a woman comes in. She breaks this jar of expensive stuff. She's putting it on his feet. She's wiping it with her hair, all that. Would that be weird if somebody came into your home and did that? Yes, yes, it would be. And it was weird in those days. That wasn't like a normal everyday occurrence, right? This was uh, something unusual. And yet Jesus is receiving this expression of love. Jesus is not rebuffing her. He's not pushing her away. He receives this very awkward expression of love and gratitude. And contrasted with that then, contrasted with this awkward, semi-absurd expression of love and gratitude is the contempt and the scorn uh, of the Pharisee. You see that in verse 39? Pharisee who'd invited, he saw this and he said to himself. So it's kind of like under his breath. You ever do that to yourself? You ever just like talking like, kind of grumbling because you don't really want anybody to hear what you're saying? Um, well, Jesus does hear him. Jesus does know what he's saying and will respond to it. But the Pharisee here has this contempt and this scorn, not just for the woman who is doing this, but also for Jesus, who's not getting the picture, who's like uh, social etiquette alarms are not going off. His are like exploding. He's like, what's going on here? And it's contending. He says, if this man were a prophet, you know, if he was really a spiritual person, if he really was who he said he is, then he wouldn't be allowing this to happen. He wouldn't be allowing this to happen. But instead, Jesus invites her in. Jesus receives this. Jesus knows her reputation. Do you think he's unaware of this? Do you think Jesus is just kind of aloof to her reputation? No, he knew it. He knew that the, the, the Old Testament law, he knew that by doing this, that it uh, probably made him ceremonially unclean. He knew what people would say about this. He's not aloof to those things, but it didn't matter because Jesus is not held captive by political correctness or social acceptedness. And neither should we. Neither should we. We welcome without judgment regardless of reputation. The Pharisee, he's here saying, you need to behave with us. His, like, the, the Pharisees, the social elite, their, uh, their um, way to get in with them begins with, well, you have to behave like us and believe like us, and then you can come near to me. But you have to get your life in order, and then you come. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You belong with me. Come near to me, and then I will work on what you believe and how you behave. But when you have an encounter, Jesus is saying, you need to come near to me. Because apart from me, you're not going to change your behavior or your beliefs. Because apart from Christ, those things can't change, can they? Can we just somehow like clean up our life on our own? especially in a way that honors and pleases the Lord? No, we need the Lord. 
We need Christ. We need his spirit to come into our life. And he does the house cleaning because we are completely enabled to do this. Apart from Christ, those things can't happen. And these things happen all the time, right? This kind of like, there's social standards, there's social norms that, that happen in all contexts. That's not just something that was true in those days. I mean, this, this is even in our circles, and there's certain people that, uh, that we bring near, and there's others that we hold at bay, right? Who's seen The Greatest Showman? You've seen the movie? Pretty good. Aaron and I saw it this week. And you see there's a powerful display of this, right? As, uh, as the circus is, is uh, becoming more popular and all the, the, uh, the people that are within the, the circus, you know, for all their strange curiosities and, and whatnot, and they come and they're at this party with all the social elites, the wealthy of that day, and then there's this kind of like clash. It just does not get along. Part, part of the whole movie is just exposing this reality. But the only way to bridge the gap is to welcome without judgment. We welcome without judgment with no regard for the external differences, to see past those and remember what we share, to remember that we share that we are created in the image of God and we've all been corrupted by sin. We all share that regardless of what we look like, regardless of who we are, regardless of where we come from, we share these two things, which then enables us to welcome, to say, you belong with me. I will bring you near. So how do we do this as a church? How do we welcome without judgment? Well, it begins with nobody is excluded from worshiping with us. Nobody is excluded from coming in here, unless you're intending to harm, you know, Unless you, uh, are, uh, you have this agenda, agenda to push, or if you've confessed Christ and are living in rebellion and have been disciplined out of another church and you're just, uh, you're, you know, you're just living in that rebellion, if, excluding those things, nobody is excluded from worshiping with us. Bring, you are welcome here. Our posture is one of open arms, not the stiff arm and not the folded arms but of open arms. We welcome without judgment. And so how do we do this? This means please invite that person. That person that you know needs the Lord because where else will they hear the truth? Where else will they encounter the Lord? Don't be the Pharisee that is the obstacle for them coming to the Lord, that is blocking their path from God. Instead, be the welcomer. Be the one who says, come and meet a Jesus who has transformed my life and can do the same in yours. Because we welcome without judgment, just as Christ did. But it didn't stop there, because Jesus knows what Simon is thinking. He knows what's happening as Jesus is welcoming this woman, this sinful woman. As he's welcoming her near, he sees the contempt, and so he tells a parable. We know what parables are. Parables are these short stories that Jesus tells in the Bible, and what they are meant to do is they're meant to highlight a, a biblical truth. They're meant to highlight a principle of, of, of truth. And when he tells them, it is really meant to hide it from those who don't have ears to hear, from those who are, aren't believers, and it's meant to open up the truth for those that have ears to hear, okay? For those who are believers. And so he tells this parable about a money lender who has, who's, there's two people that owe him money. One a considerable debt, right? One not. Do you see it here? He goes in, says, Simon, that's the Pharisee's name. Something to tell you. Okay, tell me a story here. And he goes and he tells this very simple story. 
What's a denarii? Do we know? How much is it? A day's wage. It's a day's wage. So do the math in your head if you can. Some of you are brilliant at this. Others like me. My calculator's long gone. But a denarii is about, uh, it's, it's a day's wage. What you would be paid, you put in a full day's work, here's what you got paid. So 500 denarii, that's a lot. That's about two years worth of debt. So take what, if you make an annual salary or whatever, multiply that out by two years, that's a big debt. 50 denarii is about two months, right? Give or take here, two months of pay. So what you take home in a month, multiply that by two, and that's a pretty big debt, right? It's a pretty big debt. And yet the money lender, the guy who's, who's, uh, who, who loaned the money, he cancels them both, right? He cancels them both, really irregardless, no conditions, but he, this is our next, we love without condition. We love without condition, just as this money lender did for these two that owed him money, which, which do you think will love him more? It's a pretty simple question, right? If uh, Cade is owed money by two separate people, who's going to love Cade more, right? The one who had the greater debt. But the point here is that there is, after this forgiveness happens, after this cancellation of debt, there's this great outpouring of love. The woman knew here, this is just a, a highlighting the scene that has happened. The woman knew her great debt of sin, which gave her greater love in return. And so Jesus shows her an impartial, unconditional love. He looked beyond the reputation and he loved her. See, loved people love, don't they? Loved people loved and this is why we do things here within our church, why we uh, close the service with the saying, you are loved. You notice that? If you've been coming for a while, it's like, well, yeah, no, I do. You've seen it on our signs. We say this, and it's, it, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a guest or a longtime friend. What we, uh, what we want you to know is that there's a God who loves you. If you've confessed Christ, if you are, uh, uh, have placed your faith in him, you are loved by the God of the universe. This is something, this, this goes even in how we disciple our children, in redemption kids there. There's something that I tell our teachers often. It's a, it, you know, obviously we have this curriculum, we have these things, but if our children leave knowing two things, one, that you love them and that there is a God out there that loves them as well, then you've succeeded that day. Yes, we want them to know Bible facts. Yes, we want them to understand the biblical truth, but it's there that fertilizes the seed of their, or the ground of their heart for the seed of the gospel to take root, to, that we can then teach biblical truth. And so we want the, to know we can't get this wrong or we get the gospel wrong. And so Jesus here, he's seeking these passionate disciples. He's seeking those that would follow him, not just distant rule followers, but he's teaching us to love without condition, just as he did. So how do we do this? How do we cultivate a, a, a heart of love for others? How do we do this? How do we love without condition? Because it can be hard, can it? It can be hard to do this. So, yeah, well, I don't know. That's, that's, you know this person? Well, our love for others comes out of the overflow of our love for the Lord. Our love for others comes, it's the overflow of our love for the Lord. So if you keep that cup overflowing, if you keep that cup filled, your love for the Lord, then it, all it can do is spill out into others that you know. 
That's how you can do it. You, uh, here's just a practical way. Adopt the saying, you are loved, not just as a personal mantra for yourself, but a way to think about other people. That they are a loved person, and I get to be God's means to express that to them. Lastly, we can just accept the awkwardness of love's expressions. Because it can be kind of awkward, can it? I mean, it was here. This, this is an awkward uh, scene. And, and this, uh, this is oftentimes what keeps us from, from showing somebody love. It's like, how is this going to be received? You know, it's like, I want to, but if I come and give them a hug, are they going to be like, whoa, what's going, you know, like, you're kind of sweaty. I'm not going to hug you, you know. There, there's, there's like, are they going to take this weird, especially if it's a person of the opposite sex and I say something nice or whatever. Is this like going to be crossing some sort of boundary with them. Well, don't be weird about it, but it can be, it, it just embrace some of the awkwardness and give that hug to say, you are loved and cultivate this within our heart. But intertwined with this, I want you to see in this parable, intertwined with this principle that we love without condition, Jesus also shows us about forgiveness because we forgive without limit. Do you see how these two things are intertwined in the parable? You see how he's talking and he's making this link between love and forgiveness? How loved people love and forgiven people forgive? There is no boundary for this. There's no point of no return in how we forgive. The, the example that Jesus gives about the denarii, those are, those are massive debts. Okay, especially in those days. If you had a debt that was equivalent to two years worth of your income would probably be a debt that you would not be able to pay off in your life. Maybe. Maybe if you lived very meagerly, but it would take a very long time. But the point here, the point is that these are great debts. These are great debts that would never be able to pay off. And so Jesus, like the money lender here, has no limits to what he will forgive. There's nothing too great that God will not forgive. And that's perplexing, isn't it? That's perplexing to us. It was perplexing to them. Look at, at, at verse 49 here. It says, those who are at the table then began to say, who, who is this? Who even forgives sins? They were perplexed at the story, at the, at the situation that is happening here. They are perplexed that there is this forgiveness that Jesus is extending to this woman of ill repute. But Jesus shows the connection because to the degree in which we are forgiven is the degree in which we love. You see, there's this, we see this play out oftentimes. Those that have a dramatic testimony are oftentimes more passionate in their, uh, in their love for the Lord. This isn't always the case, but if you compare like someone maybe who, who is saved as a child by God's grace versus someone who late in life, who'd been to the bottom, who maybe had been incarcerated, who has a very dramatic testimony and a very dramatic turn of, in their life, are oftentimes more passionate, more uh, uh, thankful, more loving in, uh, towards the Lord than somebody who hasn't experienced those things. It's not always the case. It uh, really can be because we miss the, just the how great grace is, right? That we were all once sinful, but the principle still holds true here that the greater you've been forgiven, the greater you show love. So what does this, what does this mean for us? Forgiveness can be hard, right? 
anytime that uh, somebody has been offended, it always brings up these questions, doesn't it? Well, what if they do it again? Well, I, this, still really, this, this still really hurts. What if, what if they don't apologize? What if they, what if they continue to hurt me? How, how long do I forgive? How, to what lengths do I go? We continue to forgive. We continue to offer forgiveness. What forgiveness is doesn't mean forgetting. Let's just take a little bit of this here, a little teaching on forgiveness. Forgiveness does not equate to forgetting. You can't just like erase it from your memory, right? And what forgiveness is not also, it doesn't mean that there are never any consequences. You can forgive somebody, but it still might mean that they are real consequences that they, have to, uh, that they have to go through, or you may have to. You may be a forgiven person, but it doesn't mean that you don't have to deal with the consequences. Even in how Christ forgave us, somebody still had to take the consequence for our sin. It just wasn't us. It was Jesus. He took the consequences in forgiving us by dying on the cross. He was our substitute. He stood in the place. And so what it means is, when we say, I forgive you, it means that I'm not going to hold this against you, and I'm not going to bring it up again. That this is something of the past. I forgive you and will continue to forgive you and not hold it against you. And forgiveness is also different than restoration and coming uh, and, and just everything being restored. But this is what we're saying. This is what Jesus has done. He's forgiven without limit, and he's teaching us that we are to as well. Why do we forgive? We forgive because we truly believe the power of the gospel, don't we? We truly believe the power of the gospel. We are never more like Christ than when we forgive somebody that has greatly offended us. This is the beauty of what the good news of Jesus Christ is. We've offended God. We as a people, to every single person in this room, every single person to, to walk this earth has offended God. And that broke the relationship. And yet Christ bridged the gap. He's the one who said, I know that. I'm going to show grace. I'm going to show mercy. And so I know that you can't uh, make amends here. I know that you can't do anything that's going to restore this. And so I'm going to take the consequences. And it's when we embrace that, when we acknowledge our sin and we repent of it before the Lord and we say, Christ, my only hope is you. It is then that we are saved. It is then that God comes and does his work of forgiveness and grace and mercy in our life. This is the gospel. And each time we forgive somebody, we are, that is a tangible expression of that same thing that happened between us and the Lord. So who do you need to forgive today? Is it a spouse? Is it a friend? Is it a, uh, an adult child? Is it a coworker? Who is it that you need to go and seek forgiveness from? Who do you need to seek forgiveness from? And who do you need to forgive? What you're saying is, I know this hurts you. I have no excuse. I accept my responsibility. Please forgive me. Write it down. See to it today. And watch and see what the Lord does in our life. So as we wrap up, I want you to again see Jesus' example in this. This is a part of our DNA. This is what Jesus is teaching us to do and how to live as a people. This is what we do. We, we welcome without judgment, we love without condition, and we forgive without limit. 
And so I want you to see a few verses here of Jesus' example, and then also a great warning of what happens if we don't, that these are fundamental to who we are as a Christian people. These are fundamental to who we are individually and who we are collectively as a church. These are three essential manners of the Christian life. Look here at this first one. We welcome without judgment. Look at what Romans 15, 7 says. See it on the screen? That we are to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. You see that? We are to welcome one another, to bring them near, to accept, to, to say, you belong with me just as Christ did the same to you for the glory of God. And if we don't, look at this warning from 3 John. Here's a church leader, a guy in the church who's being rebuked for not doing this. He said, I'm written to you, the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. Does not acknowledge this is John, who's an apostle. He says, so if I come, I will bring up what he was doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He's a, there's a strong rebuke, and he also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. The very people that he's supposed to be bringing near, the very people he's supposed to be welcoming, he's putting out of the church. And there's a strong warning from John here. We're to love without condition, aren't we? Look at Jesus' example. You probably know this verse from 1 John 4. What does it say? We love because he first loved us. Loved people love. Jesus gave this example, and because we know this great love, he has in turn loved us. But look at this warning. What happens if we don't? Look at what is said of us. This is uh, 1 John 3.10. You see it? What happens if we don't? It says, but this is evident who are the children of God. Saying if you love people is the context here. And who are the children of the devil who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. That's some pretty strong language, isn't it? That's some pretty strong language. If we don't love one another, if we don't love our brother, this is evidence that you are... are may not be a child of God, but rather a child of the devil. Of the devil. We must, we must do this because this is the beauty of the gospel. We forgive without limit. What does Ephesians 4.32 say? It says, be kind, right? Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. As what? As he's forgiven you. See, he's forgiven you. See, we're forgiven people. So we forgive one another. And there's great warning if we don't. Look at Matthew 18. I'm not going to read to you the whole parable, but Jesus tells this parable of the unforgiving servant. Peter comes up, and he, you, you may have heard this. He said, brother, my, uh, someone's uh, sinned against me. How, many, how often should I forgive him? And Jesus says 70 times. Seven, and then some, a whole bunch. He says, you should continue to do this. And then he tells this story of uh, another parable of uh, servants who, uh, a, a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants, and he forgives these massive debts, just like we saw in our parable. And then the one of them that had this massive debt forgiven, uh, this like, uh, an even extreme, uh, extremely larger debt, he then goes and finds somebody that owes him like five bucks, and he, he puts him in jail. 
He puts him in jail he's, and he doesn't, he doesn't pay back. He doesn't show the same sort of forgiveness that he had been shown. So hear these words. He says, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. There's great warning here if we don't. See, beloved, if we miss the mark on these things, the degree to which we miss the mark on this is the degree to which we will, we will either become uh, an indifferent, cold group of religious elites or this kind of spineless, convictionless group of do-gooders. And we want to just be the church. We don't want to be either of those. We want to imitate Christ in how we behave. This is what we do. This is how we live vertically because this is how Christ wants us to live. This is how Christ lived his life and gave us great warning if we don't. This is what we do. Amen? This is what we do. There's a brother uh, of, of mine, not a uh, brother in Lord, a pastor uh, from Chicago West Bible Church in uh, Chicago. Uh, he has a, a very powerful uh, testimony, one of the dramatic ones like we talked about. And uh, these are three convictions that we share as not just a church here, but across our church planting network. And so I want you to turn your attention to the screen as he beautifully wraps this truth up for us. <clears throat> 